Happy Halloween. It's the fan pregame. Sportsnet, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet 590. The fan, Ailish and Justin, are the Hanson brothers as we are adequately dressed for tonight's Halloween. Yeah, I mean, like TV or radio, like it doesn't matter where you watch or listen to us, but maybe today's a TV night, dude, because you did come through with the Halloween costumes. I was very resistant to the idea of Halloween, but you dragged me into the fight. Now I'm feeling pretty good in my Chiefs jersey. Yeah, I'm the fun bringer. Like, it's just easily stated. And um, I had to kick and scream to get Justin to wear a costume. And he looks great. We look great. We look like a great tandem ready to tackle. We look fine. We look passable for Halloween. We're ready for two hours of talk before Mm -hmm. we get to the Maple Leafs game, which is on Sportsnet 590 The Fan tonight, which, of course... We do the uh, pregame and intermissions for. So it's a long night ahead for the two of us, and we're ready to rumble. No candy here, though. No sugar loaves. No, not yet. Uh, we do, like, it's uh, the APM start. I don't know if we ever got an explanation. Is that just so the trick-or-treating can happen and no one needs to be rushed on their way to the game? Or is this, I'm not really sure, but it's not It's not hmm. bad. We get an extra hour to tee up the game. It's a big one. <laughs> Leafs returning home after a five-game road trip. LA Kings, who are suddenly the hottest scoring team in the NHL in town. It should be uh, a good one, and I'm excited to tee it up. We'll have Frank Saravalli or Frank Scaravelli mm. on at, in a couple minutes. Jesse Rogers will join us at 6.30 to tee up uh, a big game, of course, game four in Arizona. That is going to be on Sportsnet, of course, at 8 p.m. He'll be there from Chase Field, and then we'll have Jason Bukala. Bukala. On at 7 o'clock. I'm trying to fit in as many puns as I can. It's Halloween. Uh, and Frank's joining us bright and early. He's ready to rumble. 6 o'clock. Frank Scaravelli joins us. Frank, uh, happy Halloween. How's it going? <laughs> I am the third handsome guy. <laughs> look at us go. go, buddy. This wasn't planned. We look electric. <laughs> what, I mean, what are the odds that we would all pick this and be in uni- unison in uniform on the same night? Okay, so just quick... Quick context, because <laughs> because we actually didn't plan this. Justin and I were working on trying to get a costume, and I thought, this is easy. It's appropriate-ish for TV. We don't look like fools. And then we saw today that you had tweeted out you were wearing something similar, and I was like, just don't tell them. We'll surprise them. And mm. We look like a great duo here. Tri- uh, triplets. The Hanson brothers looking great. Old-time hockey, Eddie Shore. Let's it, go. It looks like we're killing off Frank's penalty right now. <laughs> like, are. Frank's in the penalty. Frank's just got beat. Uh, I don't know what happened. He's got the bloody nose going on. But we're, like, still... We haven't got into it like the Hansons have or normally get into it. So maybe we're on penalty killing duties for the, the rough and tumble right winger we got in Frank's We need Cerebelli. a photo of this. Uh, we definitely need a picture of this. I, uh, I'm i the centerman. I know that for sure. I know the that you guys could be my wingers. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. I know Frank's Over down. Look at him. putting on the foil. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> okay. okay, so let's get to uh, Leafs and Kings. It's a big one on Sportsnet a little later tonight. We're starting at 8 p.m. Uh, we're still wrapping our heads around that. We got a long, long pregame. So let's talk and dive into it now. Uh, you were the first one or maybe one of the few that wanted to talk about Austin Matthews last year and how his his year that last year wasn't going like the previous one had went. And now I'm not saying we're talking about it yet, but Mitch Marner's not having the greatest start to his season. Uh, does the same worry apply that you had to Matthews last year for Marner this year? Are you seeing anything less in Mitch Marner this year as opposed to last? Wait, is this the same guy that has points in three straight games? Is that who you're asking me about? <laughs> yeah, but is celebrating a goal like a monkey off his back four or like six games into the season? Like, it just seemed like he hasn't quite had the same 
uh, pop as he had last year and the year before. The pop that we're used to from Mitch Marner might not look the same this year. You're not seeing that, or you're just going by the point totals? Uh, not necessarily just by the point total. I mean, part of it is eye test, but I guess this is what you ask about. This is what you talk about when you have nothing else to really dig in on <laughs> five, two and one pretty decent start to the year. No one's hair is on fire. Everyone seems kind of like, Hey, this is trending in the right direction. So Mitch Marner, you only have seven points in eight games. Let's just throw, uh, throw them right on the fire there on social media, because it's just the freshest log that we have available to do. So, I mean, Honestly, that's kind of how I look at it is we're making something of nothing here in terms of the way this season has started. I think the big key for me in talking about Austin Matthews and his year last year, you're right. Part of that was a numbers thing. Part of that was an eye test thing. But I also think aside from the health component of last year, one of the biggest issues that I saw in his play was that he seemed to be putting up his best numbers in his career when playing with Mitch Barner. We, you know, obviously that's been a consistent and constant this year. Um, I'm less concerned. And I'd imagine at some point that for both of these guys who have combined for seven points in the last three games that we're really making something of nothing. Can we make something of the back end of the Maple Leafs? Uh, they're injured or depleting decor. The fact that there's not really a lot of depth behind those that are playing William Lagaston has come up. But if there were to be a hiccup or another injury, this was something coming into the season that we definitely talked about. It seems like we're really early into having that conversation about, is there an opportunity to add somebody on the back end if the Maple Leafs need to? Oh, like in a Rasmus Sandin? I think I could picture him in a Leafs jersey. Yeah, I mean, not that long ago he was. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of those situations where you even think back to last year and the moment in time that the Leafs were in and the future contract that might at some point be coming and, hey, is this guy any good or not? Everyone's kind of excited about the idea of a first-round pick, and I guess maybe we'll see what that ends up turning into. But for the time being, the depth factor and that part of it, I think, is a real conversation. I think, you know, even when you start to talk about Mark Giordano and the minutes that he plays and then the trickle-down effect, the call-ups, the first guys up, um, I think it's a very real conversation to have on a macro level. I think in the short term, you know, no issue, no worry. But when it comes to February, March, and April, all of a sudden we're probably having a different conversation. And you'd have to think that it's on Brad Tree Living's wish list at some point to add some reinforcement. Frank Saravalli or the third Hanson brother on the line. uh, Scaravalli on the line with us now. Okay, the Chrome Domes uh, are in town, the LA Kings. uh, And they're not the Kings of the early 2010s, at least not this year. They're scoring a ton of goals, uh, highest scoring team when going goals per 60 right now. But the goaltending has been a little iffy, especially with Phoenix Copley in net for them. Uh, Do you expect the Kings to go out and shop for a goaltender? Or do you think this will normalize? I think it actually has already started to normalize. If you look at Cam Talbot's numbers, he's really settled in a bit. I think through the first three games or four games of the season, even the Los Angeles Kings own front office was beginning to ask themselves, oh man, have we made a major mistake here contributing just, you know, 3 million bucks or whatever it is in total to our goaltending. It was the, you know, copycat, NHL move of the summer, which was, hey, look at the Vegas Golden Knights. They didn't invest a lot in their goaltending last year. And oh, by the way, they won a Stanley Cup. 
We knew that at some point, some other team would try it. And I'm not going to say that the Kings are totally out of the woods yet. Um, Phoenix Copley's numbers, speaking of Halloween, have been downright scary uh, so far. But you're starting to see Cam Talbot run with the ball. And I think when he's healthy and has the proper support in front of him that he can be a competent NHL netminder. He also, by the way, has a million-dollar bonus coming due his way when he hits 10 games played, so that probably will end up carrying over to next year and add a little bit of heft uh, to their cap situation in terms of goaltending. But I think for the time being, after sort of scouring and looking at where things are at, the Kings are feeling a little bit more comfortable. And I will say that there's a trust factor that exists there too, between Talbot and coach Todd McClellan, who he played some of his best hockey for in Edmonton. Uh, if they continue to score the way that they are, uh, mid goaltending will be just fine for the LA Kings. Uh, they have made some moves in recent years. They've been growing to this point, but I guess the biggest splash was Pierre-Luc Dubois. But it's interesting how dispersed their scoring is. I mean, they don't have, they got one guy, I think, in the top 50 in scoring in Kevin Fiala. But other than that, it's been pretty balanced across the lineup. Did Dubois do something to push this team into that next tier in terms of goal scoring? Or is this kind of a team coming of age and merging of timelines with the guys like Anze Kopitar still in the fold? I think it's a little bit of both. I think they already had a depth factor that existed with their team once they were able to add Philip Deneau. And the funny thing about the way that uh, it's P.L. Dubois now, he wants to go by that, no Mm. more Pierre-Luc. So uh, P.L. Dubois, what he's added to this group now, uh, the funny thing about this season is, adding that dimension, the production hasn't necessarily been there. Like it hasn't been bad, but five points so far, you're like, okay, that's a decent start for Dubois. But when you actually take a deeper dive on the numbers, he is absolutely hammering opponents when his line is on the ice in terms of generating high danger chances for they're controlling almost 69% of them when he's on the ice. So he's been a huge boost for the Kings. Um, I think the workload when you're able to have a, a line that's structured that way is so impressive. Um, a lineup, I should say, when you can go Kopitar, Dubois, Dano down the middle, I mean, you're going to be a really competitive team. And you can understand why Rob Blake and Luke Robitaille and the Kings made the bets that they did knowing that, hey, you're, if you're going to put all your eggs in, in this center position, you're going to have to take from somewhere else, especially when you're, you're paying someone like Drew Doughty on the back end what he's making, and he's kind of turned back the clock at the same time. Last time we spoke, Frank, you were at the Heritage Classic, and if we're talking about scary season, it's maybe the flames are up in flames. Uh, paused all contract talks with this slump that they're in. Uh, what's got to happen in Calgary right now to right the ship, or is it just... I guess the end of uh, the hope that we had seen a little bit with some glimmers there, Calgary looks like they're in a real tough spot. There were certainly those glimmers though in training camp. I was in Calgary for a couple of days and got a sense of what the vibe was like, talked to their manager, their coach, their players. And it felt like a breath of fresh air, Daryl Sutter out the door. And then you have Nikita Zadarov out here making the comments that he made basically saying Daryl Sutter is gone. What's the excuse now? I love how he called this team out, 
But I think the Flames at a very early juncture in this season have arrived at a significant point of inflection where they need to do some soul searching, not just for the players that are pending unrestricted free agents and able to sign new deals, but also for management itself. You know, this year feels like a continuation of last year. There's been some real question marks. And being at the Heritage Classic, I try not to make too many broad sort of, you know, judgments based on what you see, especially at an outdoor game uh, and sitting so far back from the rink. But one thing I really noticed for a team in the Oilers that I actually, when Connor McDavid's on the bench, don't think is very fast. The Flames look like a really slow team to me and slow and older as well with the way that they're constructed. So that is certainly going to be interesting to follow is what does Craig Conroy do next? Does he begin to to chip off a few pieces here and try and do this on the fly? Is there more of a full scale approach in terms of how they remake the Flames What's really interesting, too, is the response from the marketplace. Also, not selling out their home opener, things like that. These are um, Flames fans are sending a message. If this team is going to play and compete the way that it has to this point, which in parentheses is not very hard, then they're going to have to you know, try and earn back fans' trust in a different way, perhaps with their approach. How was the Heritage Classic just in general? Nickelback concert, uh, the weather. I know you were bundled up maybe appropriately this time around, uh, but it looked like a great spectacle from our side and the TV side. 10 out of 10. It was, I've been to 13, 14 outdoor games. Uh, This was as good as any. Uh, I thought the weather was absolute chef's kiss perfection (laughs) in terms of ODR quality. Uh, You know, plus one at puck drop and got a little bit chillier as the night went on and the sun went down, but it you couldn't ask for better conditions. Uh, Edmonton put on a show. The market was excited for it. Uh, lots of Flames fans in the stands uh, didn't see anyone get too hard of a time, uh, which is always nice. And it was a celebration of hockey in a way that actually for a late October game with family and friends in town, you saw two pretty desperate teams and the way the Oilers started that game very easily could have been a 7-8-1 game. The Flames showed just a little bit of pushback, which is always nice. Um, but we'll see where Calgary goes from here. I know it's one game and an outdoor game, but it feels like a bit more than that, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, it, it's not like the Heritage Classic could make the decision on contracts and direction, but if it continues to hit you over the head, uh, and if it does the same for guys like Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, maybe we're talking about a pretty hard steer in one direction or the opposite direction of maybe what we thought to begin this season. And if it's just extravagance that turns the Oilers around, then I guess... So be it. Uh, Interesting story this week in the NHL with the Senators bracing for some punishment with Evgeny Evgeny Dadanov's handling when he was traded to the Vegas Golden Knights and Vegas' involvement. It's a strange one because why not just let sleeping dogs lie? It it feels like uh, it's an issue that has passed. It's no longer really relevant. And yet it feels like Vegas is kind of driving this and they want some blood for a lack of a better term to make sure that, you know, that their reputation isn't spoiled. What What's driving this situation and why haven't we reached a resolution yet? Yeah, I actually don't have an answer for you on that and where this is all stemming from what the potential repercussions are. But occasionally you see transactions like this, especially one as highly publicized as this one was that pop up. 
Uh, there's a couple other ones I think out there that are sort of simmering in the background uh, that, you know, probably won't ever make it to the light of day where you have a couple teams or front offices that were upset about the way something was handled, either from a medical perspective or from a, you know, an off ice detail perspective that um, you hear rumblings about, but it's kind of rare to think that it would get to this level again, where you'd see something come from it. Maple Leafs are going to face off against the Boston Bruins in two days, but will we see Charlie McAvoy on the ice? Do you think that maybe he's going to be sitting in the stands for a couple games? Uh, very unlikely that he will be playing in that game. Uh, the hearing did wrap uh, earlier this afternoon, kind of cut and dry. I think everyone really understands uh, it's a big no-no now uh, when you have a hit to the head like that and pick so cleanly. Um, I think one thing going for McAvoy is that there's no apparent injury to Ekman Larson. Um, but still, uh, this is probably going to be two or three games that we see coming down from the Department of Player Safety. Uh, we should know more soon. Did you think it should have been more than two or three? Uh, obviously, he gets the in-person or he gets the phone hearing, excuse me, not the in-person, which necessitates or usually means it's under five. Do you think that sort of crossed the threshold of what maybe should have been in-person? No, because I think you also have to look at the totality of the player's career and history, and I don't think anyone's looking at Charlie McAvoy as um, a dirty player or anything like that where this is continually an issue. I think this was a poor decision, poor choice. I think his timing was also off. It was pretty late. Um, It just seemed kind of out of the blue and unnecessary, and he's going to pay a price for it, but I think – you deserve at least um, the benefit of the doubt if you make enough deposits that every now and again you get to make a withdrawal and it doesn't absolutely cripple your bank account. Uh, last one for you, Frank. Obviously, the hockey world is uh, you know mourning the loss of Adam Johnson, the tragic events uh, in, in Great Britain in the United Kingdom. Um, obviously, every league is now looking at what they can do to prevent something from happening, something similar from happening. Uh, NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly told the NHL Network, Uh, that they're in talks with the NHLPA and there is still a strong recommendation to wear a neck guard. Uh, Do you expect neck guards to be mandatory in the near future in the NHL? I don't have any evidence yet that that'll be the case. And this is one where it's actually not the NHL's fault that they aren't. The NHL has been pushing going back a couple GM a couple years ago to a GM meeting, I believe in Toronto where they made the case to say, hey, we'd like players to wear this type of cut-resistant material. And the pushback has always been from the NHLPA saying players should have freedom of choice. If you've listened to me at any point, and we've had a million conversations that have popped up, you know, even going back to last year on the morning show, of I'm a huge fan of freedom of choice. But in this case, it's so it's not intrusive to add to your uh, to your lineup if you're a player in terms of how you wear your equipment may not have always looked the coolest but look at tj oshi he's got his own apparel brand now where he actually makes this type of uh material as part of a tech shirt there's a neck portion to it and it's also protection in the wrists as well that i just think it's so easy to add to your repertoire that every player should do it to get that kind of benefit you never know you know, people have been saying all the time how rare something like this is. And yes, the end result, an actual on ice death, is incredibly rare. But there's plenty of close calls, nicks, 
skates to the face. We just saw Jacob Lauko last, last week took a skate to the face right in the eye. I mean, it happens more than you think to think that you'd go on the ice and not arm yourself with the best uh, you know, equipment possible to prevent something like that seems absolutely ludicrous to me. Yeah, every level of hockey that I've played, and I don't think it's just the women's game, we've had we've had deck guards mandatory, even sometimes mouth guards, and I've never felt like it was restrictive whatsoever. Maybe like the style points are gone, but I mean, when you see something like that, it, it doesn't matter. I just think it, it, it should be happening here for sure. Ailish, let me tell you this. In the U.S. here, I coach minor hockey. They're not mandatory here. Mm. My son is the only kid on his team that wears one as part of his shirt. And I can't believe that other parents, it's either that they aren't aware, they don't understand the situation, they think that it might not happen to them. I just couldn't imagine putting my kid on the ice and not giving him the best possibility to remain safe. Speaking of your kids, what's the Halloween costume for tonight? Uh, we've got some inflatables in our house tonight. Oh. Uh, my my daughter is an inflatable puppy, and my son is uh, one of those inflatable dinosaurs. That's oh, those are popular. Around. They've seen the raptor yeah, yeah. wear one of those here in Toronto. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you give out full-size candy bars at the Scarabelli household? Or? Come on. Is this even a question? Of course and by the do. way, the U.S. has far superior candy. To yeah, candy. I agree. After living there for four years, I sometimes stuff my suitcase with a couple on my way home over the border. Hopefully the border police aren't catching me on this one. <laughs> All right, Frank. Well, thanks for coming on Halloween. You look great. We look like a great trio. We appreciate uh, your time, and we'll chat next week, maybe. Thanks so much. <laughs> See you, teammates. See ya. <laughs> That's Frank Saravalli, Frank Scaravelli, the third handsome brother. That's uh, it's really sweet. He handles the forecheck for us. So yeah, the he's heavy in there. lifting. I'm for floating sure. up in the neutral zone waiting for a breakaway. That's my role. Uh, before we get to uh, Bet Rivers here, let me just give you, let's just go back to the Leafs and Kings and what they're doing offensively because it may be informing potentially what you're doing mm-hmm. uh, in terms of your bet for later. We mentioned the Kings are suddenly a high scoring bunch, 4.29 goals per 60 minutes. But it's really balanced. Only one player in the top 50 of the NHL, as I mentioned. The Leafs are ninth in scoring rate, 3.42 goals per hour. So if they're both playing an hour tonight, which they are, that adds up to about seven and three quarters goals, which is a decent amount. But three players are in the top 22 or better in terms of scoring for the Maple Leafs. So they're relying on their top end. The Kings are getting scoring from everywhere. I don't know which one is better. But I guess scoring from a lot of sources is always a good thing. Okay, so that did influence my picks for Bet Rivers. Time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. I was going to go over in the game, but then the Battle of Joseph Wall and the Ontario Copley made me think maybe they're going to, you know, try a little bit harder in net. And seven was the over, seven and a half. So instead of doing that, I'm going to do William Nylander over shots. Now, the reason that William Nylander is my choice tonight is because he could set a franchise record for the longest season opening point streak, which would be now nine. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't want to pick just assists or just of goals, so I went shots a night. He's going to be trying to pepper the net with shots, and over three and a half plus money, I'll take it. When you're incentivized, it can lead to shots because you're trying to make something happen. We saw happen. Obi so do it I, that one time. We saw get 14 <laughs> shots the other night when he looked like he was desperate to finally get his first of the season. So I do like that pick a lot. I'm going to go to the World Series game four. I like the Diamondbacks to respond. I'm going with a plus money play. I think they're going to win on the run line or the alt run line, minus one and a half, plus 185. It's a bullpen game. 
for both teams, really. You might see more of the starter for an Andrew Heaney for the Texas Rangers. But if it's a battle of bullpens, I like the Diamondbacks bullpen better. And for that reason, I will take them to even the series in commanding fashion, take them to win by two runs or more. Even though the Rangers are 9-0 and on the road? All good things come to an end. 9-0 on the road? That's that's a pretty... That's a stat. Uh, hey, Adelise Garcia is out. Mm, there you go. Maybe he's the key to winning on the road. I, I am, you know, crossing my fingers a little bit, but I think Texas is, you know, they're running out of starters here mm-hmm. because they had to use two yesterday and their bullpen's not great, so this might be the end of that run. Okay, those are our picks for Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. We will chat with Jesse Rogers on the other side of the break from Chase Field. As I said, Rangers 9-0 and on the road in the playoffs, but kind of a must-win for the Diamondbacks. And you're mentioning they've got some injuries on the Rangers side of it. Um, could be helping. And last night, Gabriel Moreno kind of robbed from an opportunity at the plate in the ninth inning. I wonder if that sparks a little extra oomph to start this game off strong. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. We're going to find out. Uh, Jesse Rogers will join us after the break. And J- Jason Bukala, Jason Bukala, well, join us at 7 o'clock. We're on all the way up until 8 uh, to get you teed up for the Maple Leafs and LA Kings at 8 p.m. A weird start time, of course, but we've got lots of time to share with you. you got about five minutes, though, to get a Jesse Rogers Halloween yes, fun. Yes, Jesse so Rogers. On. Rogers. Robbers. He's like a scary robber. We'll work on it. Okay. We'll take a break. We'll be back on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590. The fan is the fan game. Back on the fan, three games, Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590. The fan, Justin Cuthbert and Elish Forfar, the Hanson brothers holding it down. Happy Halloween to all. Spooktacular night tonight. It's also my parents' anniversary, so I want to say happy anniversary. There you go. You got that. And feeling like, you know, we're still killing that penalty without Frank. Uh, Hopefully we can be productive without our gritty right winger. Uh, We've got uh, the Diamondbacks looking to tie this series up. The snakes. Maybe there's something about like Halloween and snakes and spookiness that's going to get them back in this series. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe more, more appropriate would be that they don't have, or the Texas Rangers don't have Adelise Garcia uh, for this the game. A couple injuries, uh, yeah, for uh, the Texas Rangers yesterday may have an impact. Thing about Texas though is that they just have, they just have hitting for days. Like it's just not it, even losing. The guy who has eight home runs this postseason mm-hmm. does not seem like a death knell for a team that just has the ability to fill their lineup with power regardless of who's available, who's on the mound, whether you need lefties or righties. It just seems like Texas has an answer for everything, especially when they're on the road. How about Max Scherzer exiting last night's game with back tightness? I, I, I bet Barker was not happy with that one. No, probably After not. Our no, chat no. With Barker, Barker would be more annoyed when he's actually talking about the back tightness and, and how uh, it was, uh, how it affected him in his start and his season. But it looked like that comebacker came off the elbow, which is like, yeah, if it's your throwing elbow, back tightness or not, I mean, I'm sure that hurt if you got a comebacker off the elbow. So it did throw the plans into flux a little bit. John Gray has to come in the game, pitches brilliantly, mm-hmm. but now the Rangers have to go towards something of a bullpen game. We'll see how it all plays out. But yeah, it's not like the Scherzer injury did not have an impact on yesterday's game, and I think it will impact today's as well. 
All right, let's bring in Jesse Rogers of ESPN. Uh, Jesse, I hope you're there, and I don't know if you'd be wearing a costume other than maybe just like an MLB insider live from the field. How's it going, Jesse? We might not he have Jesse. He is dressed yet. as a ghost, possibly. <laughs> yeah. He disappeared on us there. That's okay. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get Jesse Rogers We've been cooking. trying to get Jesse on this show for a couple days now. He's been, he's been a bit he's elusive. He's elusive. He with the, uh, just ghosted with the us. connections. But, you know, this is a big one for the Diamondbacks. We've talked about how the setup 2-3-2, it favors them, or it favored them going into last night. But if they fail to win that pitching matchup, which was favorable for them with Brandon Fott versus... Max Scherzer, despite how weird that sounds because it's Max Scherzer, that was sort of a must win. But then you just stack up must wins because if they go down 3-1 with the brilliance of Texas on the road, uh, it's going to be really, really hard for them to come back because then they'd have those top-of-the-line starters back in rotation again. This feels like a must win for every reason, but specifically because, hey, this is a bullpen game. That One of the strengths of the Arizona Diamondbacks has been their bullpen. And if they can't win the bullpen game, the head-to-head bullpen, well, then I guess they were overmatched. And winning at home means a lot, especially against a team that has yet to lose on the road. Mm-hmm. Like, that added boost of you win in your ballpark, you got your fans behind you, like, you need that. You can't lose at home again and then try to, you know, rally on the road. Like, it's it's much more difficult. So we'll see if Arizona uh, can make that happen tonight. Jesse, do we have you? Yes, I'm here. Sorry about that. Just a lot of action going on in the field here before game four. A lot of cameras, a lot of people on the phone, you know, that kind of stuff. No worries. No problem at all. Body service. Body service. That's okay. We appreciate you uh, finding a way to to connect with us. Uh, Let's start with the Rangers. 9-0 on the road in the playoffs. A pretty unbelievable stat. Does that end tonight or do they have some sort of Halloween voodoo to keep it going? Yeah. I actually do think it ends tonight. Arizona's been pretty resilient. They've won their bullpen games here in the, in the playoffs. Um, I, I think they're really good at setting up their pitching against a, a good hitting team like they did with Philadelphia, and, and we'll see what they do against Texas. Of course, Adolis Garcia not in the lineup, so that's a big loss there. I, I do think they even it up. Um, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I wouldn't put my money on it, but uh, I, li- I do like Arizona tonight. Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like not, not that the you know this was necessarily planned uh, in terms of getting to this bullpen game, but the bullpens would favor Arizona if if they were uh, compared. Uh, that's just been the story of Texas this season in a lot of ways, but also the story of the postseason for Texas just being you know having an answer for everything, having an answer for pretty much every obstacle that's being thrown at them. And this latest one is pretty significant, though, with Adolis Garcia, as you mentioned, on not playing in this game, injured after taking a hack late in uh, yesterday's game. What impact, if any, does that injury have on Texas? We know they have a lot of power. They have a lot of depth. They have a lot of versatility in the lineup. But an injury to Garcia, does that finally mean something when we talk about this Rangers uh, team and how dangerous they've been despite the situation offensively? Yeah, no, I think it does. I mean, how could it not? He's a middle-of-the-order guy setting all sorts of great postseason offensive marks. And um, what it does is it just allows – Fred Strum, the Diamondbacks pitching coach, and, and that staff to sort of navigate the lineup differently. You know, Jankowski is going to play, play in his place down at the bottom of the order, not nearly as dangerous. So um, it just it gives them more options to work around guys like Seager. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. If Seager gets another pitch to hit in this series, I'll be really surprised. And I'm not like that's not an exaggeration. We saw this in Philadelphia with Bryce Harper and, and Kyle Schwarber once. 
um, they stopped letting those two beat them, the Diamondbacks caught up in the series and won the series. As long as they stop letting Seager beat them, I think they got a shot, and it's a better chance of doing that when Garcia's out of the lineup. So it really does impact um, a lot of different things on both teams. Was the Scherzer injury last night maybe a blessing in disguise? Like, he was getting hit. He didn't give up anything, but he was getting hit a little bit. Then, he, you know, he's, he's had a difficult postseason to this point. They thrust John Gray uh, into a start, I guess, one day, or not a start, but into action one day before it was planned, and he was brilliant. I, it may impact this game because, well, they don't have John Gray anymore, but what you saw from Scherzer and what they got out of him compared to what they had been getting did that kind of work in Texas's favor, even if it wasn't drawn up that way? That's not a bad point. You heard Christian Walker talking about that after the game. They were prepared for Scherzer. I think they were kind of licking their chops at a second or third time through the order against him. They did have a few hits, um, though he got out of it with the bad base running play. Yeah, I mean, I guess in hindsight, if you knew that John Gray was going to be that good, then it did work in Texas's favor. But you didn't know that for sure. So a short start by your starter is still a little iffy. But, yeah, I guess in hindsight, it, it, it worked out really good. And the Diamondbacks just weren't prepared for what John Gray threw at them. We're talking with Jesse Rogers ahead of tonight's game four of the World Series APM Rangers lead 2-1. That'll be on Sportsnet a little later in the evening. Um, Gabriel Moreno, obviously we have some ties to Gabriel Moreno here in Toronto. Uh, that ninth inning last night, though, a pretty tough plate appearance in terms of the call that was missed. Was that like an umpire, do you think, trying to fix a previous mistake? How devastating that kind of ends up being for the Diamondbacks would have walked giving the tying run at the plate with zero outs. Like, that's something you circle maybe down the road as a, ooh, I wish that had gone a different direction for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I mean, it was so egregious that um, coming in the ninth inning is the killer. I mean, that's the leadoff man inning changes if he gets on first via walk. I mean, maybe it was a makeup call. I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a weird time to, to do it. But, um, uh, yeah, I like it, it, if I'm the manager, and, and I know Tori Lovello is actually, he's complained the last 24 hours about that call. But inside the room, I better be telling my guys, hey, let's not rely on an umpire's call when we're down 3-1 in the ninth. Let's be the team that's up 3-1. That's the right attitude to take privately. But publicly, you, you, you get mad as much as you can without getting fined or suspended because maybe you do get a call tonight, for example. So um, I think Lavello is, is, was walking a fine line today when he said he was steaming mad about it still, but he was, I, I'm sure, sending a message. But, he, you know, you, you don't go to your team and say, oh, it's the umpire's fault. You never do that. You, you tell them we need to be up enough that an umpire's call doesn't impact the outcome. So tonight's pitching matchup, maybe not the most befitting of a World Series. Andrew Heaney, Joe Mantefly. Uh, we expect Andrew Heaney to maybe go deeper in the ballgame or probably go deeper in the ballgame, uh, just, you know, uh, with respect to what happens uh, uh, cons- uh, compared to Mantefly, excuse me. What should we expect from Heaney? What, what, uh, what does Arizona have to deal with to Heaney? Because getting to the bullpen surely will help them or be a, a positive for the Diamondbacks if they can get there. But they might have an opportunity against Heaney as well. So what do you think the plan is for Bochi in Texas with Andrew Heaney? Because we know Arizona is going to be going quick to the bullpen. How quick does Texas go to the bullpen, even if Heaney's throwing it well? I think uh, less quick. I mean, it's just that's the short answer. I think it's just going to be the eye test. You know, sometimes it's, a, it, it's planned out, you know, 12, 15, 18 outs. I think in this case, because they used John Gray and other guys last night, I think they're just going to 
go by the eye test and not, not put a number on it. Um, they may have to react one batter late instead of early on a night like tonight. Now, Haney's been in and out of the pen all, all postseason, two starts, several uh, play, uh, bullpen appearances. So it, it, is he stretched down enough to get even 18 outs? Probably not. Um, but you start with 12, maybe 15, and you get to five innings. That's pretty darn good. A um, little bit more success, I feel like, when there's a lefty on the mound. Um, I mean, for, for the opposition, uh, the Diamondbacks aren't as good against lefties because I don't think Kelvin Carroll has been as good against lefties in particular. But he did pitch, he did hit well against Ranger Suarez in Game 7, so maybe he's, he's past that. But my point is, if I'm the opposition, I kind of like a lefty against the Diamondbacks. So I think they'll let him go. I think they'll let him go. And, you know, using up John Gray is probably the reason they will. Chatting with Jesse Rogers, ESPN MLB Insider, live uh, from the World Series. Um, Texas is the e- the the more easier comparison to a team like the Toronto Blue Jays, where there's a payroll uh, that would be you know somewhat similar if they wanted to be that. Uh, and, and if we're doing the copycat thing, if we're doing the comparison, I think just think it's easier to compare Toronto to Texas. But just looking Texas as it is and the how they went from three years where it was really really lean and they did build up a lot of uh, young talent and then they went crazy and spent a lot of money on some really good players that supported that internal talent did they kind of stumble on this greatness and what they've they've shown throughout this this world series run or is this very intentional and it was deliberate and this was a master class on how to build a team where uh, on the spectrum of masterclass and and bit of a, of an accident, would you rank this Texas approach to team building and how they got to this point? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's a masterclass in finishing off a rebuild. There's a lot of teams that don't do that. I'm, I'm based in Chicago. The White Sox didn't finish off the re, their rebuild. Maybe you could say the same thing about the Blue Jays because they still don't have a left-handed hitter for the middle of that lineup. You have to have balance. Uh, both on your pitching staff and in your lineup. And as you grow your team, you're going you're gonna to find those holes that you haven't developed, and you're going to plug them. And that's what they did. Now, remember, they were a losing team for six straight years before this season. So it was a long time coming in Texas. But they, 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 they put the rebuild on steroids when they signed all those guys last year and then you know this year with Evaldi and DeGrom as well. So I think the master class came in the ending it shouldn't take six years, but they finished it. They finished it. And there's so many teams that, that don't do that, maybe because they fall in love with their own players. They think they have enough. But you've got to fill those holes, and sometimes it costs a lot of money to do that. On the flip side, the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that not many folks believed in would get to this point. If you looked at the betting odds early on in the season, they were at the very bottom. Uh, but they did it in a way that is untraditional. And in a sense, I wonder if you think teams are going to try to swing for the fences and make a little of their own luck and fleece the Blue Jays maybe on the way. How Arizona got to yeah. this point, do you think that there'll be any uh, insight to, and look in, inwards if you're another organization at, well, you know, if it happened to them, maybe it can happen yeah. to us? I, I think the only answer to that is trying to just get in. Mm-hmm. And this is like where the baseball players union doesn't love an 84 win team winning it because if that's the blueprint well why should we spend like the Rangers did if if, if we could get in um, with a lower payroll and 84 wins why should we spend like Texas because that's that's the other side of of spending a lot of money you get in this way so I think that's the only thing like it's a reminder that you can just get in 
and anything can happen. Look, there were moments along the way for the Diamondbacks, certainly in the Philly series, where it could, could have came crashing down. I mean, uh, Brandon Woodruff getting hurt in the Milwaukee series, you know, impacted them. Um, you know, there's always yeah, – they could have lost as easily as they could be here, is my point. But this, the lesson is basically just get in. And so, yeah, you think a lot of teams will be shooting for that mid-80 mark after seeing what the Diamondbacks did. You've been at, uh, I believe, probably all the games of this uh, World Series, or at least most of them. Has the unexpectedness of the matchup and maybe the different types of fan bases diminished the vibe at all? Has it still been an electric World Series, or have you noticed anything different in terms of attendance and energy? No, not not when you're here. No, I, I get the TV ratings thing, but I will say the Texas crowd especially was surprising to me. Um, I, I didn't think there was a more hostile or louder place than Philly, and I'll say Texas was actually louder. Now, I don't think it's as hostile because the, the, the new building there is, is kind of built upwards and outwards. It, it's, the noise doesn't cap uh, – I'm sorry, like the hostileness of it doesn't isn't captured in it like Philly fans on top of you are. But it was certainly loud there, and I've been in Arizona now for two rounds, and it's been pretty loud here. All games sold out. Outside the park is a party. So it's just like anything. Um, in the cities that, that are hosting a World Series or, or an NBA Finals or whatever, the, the, the energy's there. The energy's there. I don't know what's going on outside of Arizona or Texas, but the energy in both those places is it's huge. It is the World Series, and everyone's excited. Okay, we got to do it. We've resisted it to this point, but I got to ask you about Gabby Moreno. Uh, <laughs> what's the ceiling on this guy? Because Blue Jays fans are having a difficult time watching this World Series, given that uh, the trade of Gabby Moreno really clouded this Blue Jays season. Yeah, I wrote about a lot about him yesterday at ESPN.com. If people want to check it out, just part of a story about the young Diamondbacks and. You know, Jason McLeod, uh, an executive here, said, like, when they were investigating the trade for him, the word they got back was, like, he's our Corbin Carroll, meaning young but mature, talented. I mean, Coral and, and Corbin Carroll and him really are similar in some ways because they just play much more mature than, your, than their age, right? And they act that way as well. I mean, the bottom line is you gave up a great talent. I don't know what to say. Now, you had a catching surplus. You gave up a great talent. The fact that they threw in uh, – Lord is Guriel as well is kind of crazy. Um, I don't know what else to say. He's he's that good and that mature. I mean, look what what they put on his plate. They they even moved him up to third in the lineup during the postseason. Like mm-hmm. that was an unfamiliar place. They said go do that and go catch every inning. He's gotten a a, a ball in the uh, I'm sorry a bat hit him in the head in the first round. A couple balls off his hands in the in the, in the earlier round. Uh, and he's he keeps performing. He said homers off of Kershaw and, you know, it, it, the list is just amazing of accomplishments this postseason. So um, I, I can't sugarcoat it. You gave up a great talent and um, he might be the best catcher in the game in about a year or two. Uh. Yeah, that's uh, that's the punchline right there. That was uh, what I was ex- uh, worried that you might say. Yeah, I mean, it's it's twofold, right? Because he is both what the Blue Jays need now in order to trade to get better because there's been a massive talent loss. And he's obviously the guy that you'd want to build around in the future. He is both of those things. And when you give it up for someone who you're not sure is going to be someone who can uh, uh, help you at a really high level, even though he's controllable and he's talented and he's got some plus value in some respects, you're just not sure. So uh, it is tough watching Gabby Moreno, but it is fun watching him on the World Series stage uh, nonetheless. Jesse, we appreciate you coming on. Enjoy game four, uh, and hopefully we can chat again with you down the line. 
Okay, enjoy it as well. Take care. See you. That's Jesse Rogers of ESPN from the grass. That was game a four of the World dagger. Series. That was a dagger. But that's what he looks like. Right? Can we just reiterate does what he, he just not, said? Does he not look like what he just said? He could be the best catcher in the game by next year. Yeah, he looks he looks like that type of polished prize. It looks like a guy <sighs> who's in complete control of his staff, is brilliant defensively, is mature, maybe not beyond his years, but looks like a mature guy who's not afraid of the moment. And oh yeah, he's hitting third in a lineup that is currently playing for the World Series. Sometimes you want to wait to evaluate a trade, like you use that in your favor. And this might be a time where you say, whoa, 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 call me in a couple of years. But there's no call me in a couple of years when you watch what this kid is doing at the biggest stage. Like, it's it's not just he's had a great, you know, a great run in the path to the World Series. This is now in the World Series, what he has done, how he looks, how he carries himself. It's tough to to try to punt the evaluate the trade down the line any further. It's real tough. Yeah, and, and that really has been the key learning, I think, though, if you're a Blue Jays fan, because we were doing the hopeful thing for the you know the vast majority of the season. We're understanding that the Blue Jays were kind of an inferior product, despite, hey, you know, like a couple weeks left, they had the third best record in the American League. And it's like, okay, like there's clearly something there. But watching all these teams, watching what Texas does offensively, watching how Texas, you know, it, if it's a lefty-righty, they just change their lineup and put a new guy who doesn't play very often in the three-hole. Like, they just have so much lineup versatility. They have so much depth. And I'm not really concerned, despite Jesse Rogers saying, hey, Adelis Garcia not playing, it's going to have an impact. But do I expect them to just, like, curl up and, and be a non-factor offensively because they lost one of their best players? No, it's not going to be the Bo Bichette <laughs> effect when Bo Bichette was unavailable you know, in the, in the latter or the depths of summer when he was dealing with his injury, and it just felt like they had no answer for that. That's not what I think is going to happen with Texas. And on the flip side, what Arizona is doing is not really conventional. It feels like they're catching everyone's by surprise, but they have so much young talent that you're like, okay, like if it doesn't work this year, and if they take a step mm-hmm. back next year, it doesn't really matter because they've got these key foundational pillars in place. And if they choose to spend like a team like Texas... Well, you know you're spending around a really, really talented core nucleus that's going to take you pretty far. And, oh, yeah, that nucleus includes Gabby Moreno. So these two teams are just so much different and different in ways that kind of are disheartening if you're a Blue Jays fan watching certainly what you saw from the Blue Jays this year. Okay, speaking of Gabby Moreno, uh, this was a great tweet from our Hazel May. I believe it was yesterday. um, Speaking to Gabby Moreno on the podium, at the World Series, uh, quote, Gabby Moreno was playing video games, FIFA, back home in Venezuela when he received a call with news he was traded to Arizona just before Christmas. Quote, I thought I was going to receive a phone call from the GM wishing me happy holidays. That's pretty harsh. We kind of wish it was a call from the GM wishing him happy <laughs> yeah. holidays. Do we not? I, yeah, a holiday greeting would have been better uh, in the end. And one follow-up tweet from Hazel said that she asked Moreno what had been the biggest improvement behind the plate. Quote, mainly the confidence and trust the team has given to me as well as the starting pitchers and bullpen pitchers. They're just treating him well and giving him an opportunity to be a star, and that's all it took. And he's becoming uh, a star. That is for sure. Again, Sportsnet will carry the World Series Game 4 later on. Uh, it was the NFL trade deadline It today. was. Uh, and I don't think... Is it finished? Do they finish at I, like I believe, 6 or 5 p.m.? Like I, be- I believe other- things have wrapped up. Mike, yeah. things have wrapped up. Things have wrapped up. Uh, the biggest trade... And there were a couple decent ones. 
I mean, the Cardinals, I mean, the Vikings went out there and got a replacement mm-hmm. for Kirk Cousins, which I guess is interesting, but it's Josh Dobbs and didn't they already have a ceiling? But Chase, Chase Young. Young going to the San Francisco 49ers, my first response was like, okay, you can't play like 13 defensive ends <laughs> uh, every snap, but it doesn't really matter because they just continue to add talent. Last year, they went and got Christian McCaffrey at the mm-hmm. deadline. He might win Offensive Player of the Year. Now they have Chase Young, who is an uber talent an unbelievable pass rusher has just had a lot of things he's dealt with in in terms of his first uh few years in the nfl got him for a third round pick that's but it if he does what mccaffrey does on like the defensive end scale or or the defensive scale mm-hmm. the impact could be enormous and of course this 49ers team has had a couple bad games in a row they've looked more mortal than i think we expected them to be but adding a guy like chase young could change the entire complexion of that defense which was already dominant. I'm very interested in what Chase Young can do for the 49ers. And what are the commanders doing? Like they, I thought they were trying to be good. Now they're trading everyone from their defense. And they're young guys. They're just going to rebuild again? I guess so. What uh, we chatted with Frank Scaravelli about, about 30 minutes ago, was Charlie McAvoy. And we do have the update that NHL player safety has just posted. He has been suspended for four games for the illegal check to the head. So... Pretty hefty amount of time that Maple Leafs will see them on Thursday night, them being the Boston Bruins, without Charlie McAvoy. So that should help their case. Yeah, I mean, that's been the strong Undefeated suit. Boston Bruins, may I add? Undefeated, at least in regulation, yeah. yeah I mean, I don't, know how the, I don't know how the Boston Bruins, after what they did in the summer, losing Patrice Bergeron, how they can come back and just be undefeated to start the year. They've had a bit of an easy schedule. But yeah, that helps the Toronto Maple Leafs, mm-hmm. uh, for sure, have, not having Charlie McAvoy. Does it make... Or does it necessitate then that the goaltending will fall off, though? Because two of the top four goaltenders in the league by goals saved above average belong to the Boston Bruins. I mean, imagine having goaltending that deep where you have two of the top performing four goaltenders in the league on your team. Part of that is to do with Charlie McAvoy and a really strong blue line. But a lot of it is just two talented goaltenders making sure that Boston does not have a dip. We're going to continue teeing up tonight's Toronto Maple Leafs game, which we'll have on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And 8 p.m. puck drop. The next hour, we'll be moving to Sportsnet 590 The Fan only, where you can catch us talking to Jason Bukla next. And then we'll have a half-hour pregame show for your Toronto Maple Leafs game. 8 p.m. puck drop. If you're going out trick-or-treating, be safe, have fun, happy Halloween. We'll be next on Sportsnet 590 The Fan with Jason Bukla. It's the fan pregame. Back on the fan pregame, Sports at 590. The fan, Alish and Justin for the next hour, getting you teed up for Kings and Leafs. They're wearing those silver, shiny buckets. Why so don't you like those? Bring what's, your what's shades wrong with those? to the rink. I think they suck. Really? <laughs> yep. You're traditional. That's my right? an, an analysis. They suck. Someone with some better analysis is. Do you get, like, sorry. Uh, yeah, throw. Wow. Do you like the gold ones? No. Okay. Just wear normal helmets. Jason Bukala. Joining us, sports and analysts. Uh, happy Halloween. You are just tuned up for Halloween with that last name, eh? I am. Well, I am now for sure. <laughs> I with that intro. Yeah. I, would, I, would go, I, I would go with the matte black helmet if I were the Kings. I kind of like that matte. I don't know if you see the Arizona mm-hmm. Coyotes new, new maroon helmet. Yes. It's like a matte. 
kind of maroon. I like it. It looks kind of good. Not I that shiny kind of. I completely agree. The shine is too much. It's it's like tinfoil heads. It's just it's it's hard to watch. But we will be watching in one hour, <laughs> and uh, we grinding through. We we will make it work. <laughs> um, so we're reading your newest article on Sportsnet.ca and analyzing the Leafs blue line and where they have to upgrade. Um, before we get into that, in spirit of Halloween. What's the scariest Leafs defensive pairing that we could put together right now? Because there's a lot of scary parts, but you got to create the spookiest duo. Who is it? Uh, oh, thank you very much for putting me on the spot. I mean, did I, <laughs> you can basically I pick would, anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, McCabe's had kind of a tough start, so I guess if if I had to, let's say this, last minute of a game, nursing a one-goal lead, scariest pairing to put out would be Klingberg with McCabe right now. Okay, um, Matt, one more thing. I know we're giving you stupid questions to start, but they're fun. It's Halloween. McCabe yeah. is something we've been talking about, and we, we've been struggling to find out like how to best describe his game, right? It's kind of all over the place. So if you're doing Mad Libs and I'm giving you an adjective, the play of Jake McCabe has been what? Is it chaotic? Is it messy? Is it a roller coaster? Like what? How do you analyze Jake McCabe? Because he's all over the place. Hectic. Mm, Very hectic. hectic. Yeah. Erratic is a, was another one I was going to use in there, but I'm just going to go with hectic because he's he loves to engage physically, right? Like he, he's chasing contact and and I don't know, it's just uh, he's out of sorts. He's he's chasing the play and he's he's spinning around down low in his zone. So he's a much better player than this guy. Mm-hmm. Let's let's not uh, let's not overshoot it here. He, he's going to be fine. He'll be better than this. But uh, when he comes back from injury, um, he needs to settle things down. Yeah, and it's not hard to see that, right? Like if everyone can see it and everyone's scratching their head and it, it just doesn't add up to what at least everyone thought the Leafs were getting with Jake McCabe, I think you can make some adjustments because all it is really is being less aggressive. And I think Jake McCabe can have a lot more success if he does uh, that. Uh, so you went through pretty much every defense uh, defenseman with the, with the Toronto Maple Leafs and kind of wrote about where they are and how they can fill the void or how they can serve a purpose. Uh, for the Maple Leafs this season. I want to start with Timothy Lilligren because you called it a slow burn kind of watching this development. And we get to this point now where he has to play a pretty sizable role for the Leafs, at least in the uh, short term here. Is this a finished product in your, in your estimation? And if it is a finished product, is it a reliable one for the, for the Maple Leafs? It's much closer, Justin, to a, uh, to a finished product right now than it ever has been. Um, so just to give you some context, I mean, when, when I started scouting Lilligren, you know, several years ago back in Sweden, he was, you know, a whirling dervish. Like he could really skate, obviously, and it's a bigger ice surface. So he was leaning more like a transitional uh, defenseman who could provide better than secondary offense. I still think he's going to provide secondary offense, but what I think he's done a lot better over here, especially in the last, you know, six, eight months uh, of play. I mean, not, not including the summer, but six, eight months is he's a earned the trust. He's way more reliable on and off the puck. Like his spatial awareness is better. He sees the ice better. He's not turning pucks over as much in key situations, but you're absolutely right. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because as you start to get heavier lifts and as you start to match up more and more against top six opponents, um, like tonight's going to be a, a huge test for the least, in general, um, you know, LA is a big, heavy, strong team, and and you know they're they're gonna they're gonna test them in different ways. So, a he's closer to a finished product. B he's more reliable, 
And then C, I'm leaning more just a straight-up two-way defenseman with him than I ever was, uh, or more than when I was at the beginning with that transitional element. Uh, Two-part question here on the major addition in terms of blue liners uh, this season for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That, that of course, is John Klingberg. Uh, I wonder how you think the experiment is going, bringing him in and and playing and, and just deploying him in the manner that they have. And how has he changed since you like first started scouting John Klingberg? Because he's had a really interesting career. I mean, he was getting Norris votes at one point. He was looked at as one of the best offensive defensemen in the league, like a real game changer for the Dallas Stars. And then he goes through a couple really difficult seasons. Some of that might be related to, hey, he should have signed this contract that he didn't. And now look where he's at. Uh, he's obviously advanced in age since his maybe prime years with the Dallas Stars. Like, what what was he? What has he become? And how is it working right now for the Maple Leafs? Oh, so what he was, was uh, he's always been um, a power play quarterback type of a, a defenseman. So he's always brought, to me, offense first was his most primary element. He's a big body, but he's not a physical heavy guy. Like, he's a real good puck mover. He sees the ice. He can outlet pucks long range through seams. Um, in the past, I found him to be more of a shooter. So he, he got more pucks on net. Maybe that is partly due to, you know, as, as defensemen age in the league, um, their agility on the offensive blue line, you know, it, it falls off a little bit. So, you know, like that step to space to open up a lane to get more pucks to the net, maybe that's fallen off a little bit. But his offensive brain has, and like he sees the ice very well. Where you run into problems with Klingberg, and especially over the last three or four years, and I'll be the first to tell you that, you know, even a trade deadline last year when we were talking about him on, on panel, um, he can be less than average defensively, and it's a problem. And, and so hard matchups, especially on the road, have to be monitored. Um, I even said that in my story, like, you know, a crafty coach on the road, you know, John Cooper, next time the Leafs are in on Tampa Bay, you know, and he sees, you know, Klingberg and Jordano roll over the boards and he's got last change, you know, he's going to take advantage of that. And you're going to see more of that in the back half of the season. I think we all agree that the back half gets more um, – specialized if you will like people you know good coaches really mind down on how they want to prepare their teams so he's he's an average plus defenseman on his best day he's average to just below average on you know days that he's just a little bit off so um i hope that answers the question i'm not in love with him defensively uh, but offensively i see what they've done with him with him taking more power play time um, over Morgan Riley, has that benefited Riley a little bit, like taking less minutes and having a different role? Um, obviously, offensively, he's still going to be able to produce, but being off that PP1 on PP2, has that helped Riley at all? Well, that's interesting because uh, as I broke down, you know, I like to try and do things in 10-game segments, but we are at eight games. This is enough of a body of work. So when I started to peel back the onion here on the group in its entirety, so, yeah, we know Klingberg's taking about three minutes, uh, or pardon me, he's playing over three minutes on the power play. He's eating up Riley's time. Riley, first of all, it speaks to him being a good pro because we've, we've all been around these guys long enough. Guys who are, who are quarterbacks and first power play units and they get moved off that, uh, for no real good reason, because, listen, they had the second-best power play in the league last year, right? So Riley was doing a good job. But this guy sucks it up, and he just he just moves on. You know, you know, tell me what you need me to do, coach. His defensive game has improved, more shot blocks. Um, 
I know that when I project numbers, when I say a guy's up by 0.7 of a shot block or 0.8, whatever the number is, when you plane that out over the course of an entire year with minutes included, you're looking at about 70 to 80 more shot blocks on the defensive side from a Giordano and a Riley. And as you well know, that's seven or eight less chances to get pucks on our net. And, um, you know, that's, that's important. So I think that his detail is improved uh, in the role that he's playing so far this year. Yeah, it's funny you bring up Gio because I was going to ask you about him next. In your article, you've got him, you know, shooting, whoa, blocking more than maybe 70 more shots this season. And, of course, we know his age and we know um, that he could have a bit of a decline. Uh, do you think that he's, like, he's a workhorse. We know that and we, we praise him for that. But there's got to be some point where it becomes too much, right? And we don't want to get to a point where Gio isn't able to be productive at the end of the season or into the playoffs. Is there a way that he moves off of that? Or is that just like such a part of his skill set in his blood that he's just like, I'm never going to not be the guy getting in front of shots? Well, I think you have to reflect uh, on, on his body of work last year, and I'm sure he's done this as well. So he only knows how to play the game one way, and I give him 100% credit for that. There's no problem with that. He's programmed a certain way. He's been in the league forever, and that's the way he plays the game. But as, um, as an organization, as we trend towards the back half of the year and we start to ramp up towards playoffs, we have to take a a little bit of a a look over our shoulder and say, okay, what could we have done better last year to prepare our group to be at their most, uh, at their best at the hardest time of year. And he ran out of gas and so did uh, Brody run out of gas. So I'm hoping and expecting um, through the salary cap, however it's managed, I put that in there too. I'm forecasting they're going to add another body at the very least. I'm also forecasting that some of his minutes will, will come down uh, over different periods of time through the course of the year because they need those guys to be better at the hardest time of year, and they ran out of gas last year, so they have to learn from that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, before we even got a chance to dream about the playoffs, we were, we were thinking that this team was going to bring in someone on the blue line to supplement a roster that looked, frankly, incomplete. Uh, to begin the year. So, you know, you ran the analysis, you looked at every defenseman in the organization. Now, how all the pieces could fit. What is the pipe dream uh, addition, realistic pipe dream addition for the Maple Leafs this year defensively? Like who can complete this blue line and make it Stanley cup ready? Well, Chris Tanya is right at the top of my list. He's an Ontario guy. Obviously he's got a uh, history with the, uh, with tree there in, in, you know, Toronto now uh, at 4.5 million, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. And a lot of it's going to have to depend on what goes on with Calgary. Obviously Calgary's a bit of a tire fire right now, guys. And, mm. and they're they're They got to look and see, you know, what, where they're going to be at. And then, you know, the other thing is like, when do they start to want to shop some of those guys? Is it going to be a trade deadline thing or is somebody going to get out ahead of it for me personally? He'd be at the top of my wish list, and I would try and get out ahead of that sooner than later. I don't, you know, the cost might be a little bit higher because you acquire it sooner, but I just think that everything that we've just talked about, that load management, getting the group uh, in its best type of uh, state before playoffs, let's give them as much possible runway as possible uh, before playoffs. And, and Tanya's my guy. Like, uh, he's a warrior. He, you know exactly what you're going to get. Um, and, and that would be my primary target. You also mentioned a former teammate of mine, Sean Walker. We were D partners Ooh. growing up, York Simcoe Express, wow. a little Keswick guy. I could see him coming back to the fold. What do you think? 
That is interesting. Wow, I did not know that. Uh, oh, yeah. Sean, Walk- Sean Walker flies under the radar. I don't think that he's a guy that a lot of people throw his name out there. But mm-hmm. listen, if anybody has a chance, any of our listeners, uh, break down some Philly stuff. Take a look sometime. Like, he plays over 20 minutes. He plays hard up and down the ice. As, as you know, he's built like a fire hydrant, like <laughs> yeah. 5'11", almost 200 pounds. You know, stocky, strong guy. Block shots, hits, does a whole bunch of different things. He plays kind of like what the Leafs uh, appreciate. He plays their style of hockey, but he also adds that physical uh, grit element to it. So I think he's a name as well. I'd uh, I'd shop around there for sure. And he learned everything he knows from Ailish Forfar. So that's that's, right. that's an important <laughs> bit of context Keswick, uh, to consider. Uh, we're talking to Jason Bukala. Uh, teeing up today. You have to do the spooky one. Bukala. Okay, that was my best. Uh, my best Halloween uh, callback. Uh, okay, so you mentioned slow burn with Timothy Lilligren. It's been a slow burn for Joseph Wall, but he's here and he is performing. Um, you know, you've you've obviously tracked his development, but now that he's here, now that he's played some NHL games and looks like a guy who's already won a goaltending competition, what are you seeing from Joseph Wall in terms of ceiling and potential? He's his ceiling is a one A. I think that um, so his the way that he's prepared. So when I first came into the league, I was in Nashville with the Predators, and you know we had Thomas Fulcoon uh, as our starter, and Chris Mason was a backup, and we had this guy named Pekka Rennie kind of you know simmering in the minors, and you know mentally strong, big body, athletic, um, and then you know Pekka didn't get to the NHL for he was. I think turning 26 was, was he, when he first arrived in Nashville. I'm not suggesting that Joseph Wall is going to be Pecker Rennie. So I don't want to put you know that type of pressure on the kid. What I'm telling you, though, is the journey's similar. The preparation is very similar. I think that he's dialed in, focused. He's big. He's athletic. He's done everything he can to get prepared for the moment. And he doesn't look like the moment is too big for the way that he plays. So I love the fact that he's you know got crease composure. You know, pucks come to him. He's very rarely swimming around. And the thing with Samsonov, guys, um, and I'd be interested in what you think, but he's a he's a butterfly athletic guy. And when he gets too active and he's moving around, like he's really moving around. Like there's some road hockey in there. And the wall's, wall's the exact opposite. So I think he brings that, uh, that trust level. I think this kid's ready to go and take his game to the next level. And uh, I think the team believes in him as well. Yeah, a little further on Samsonov because, I mean, it's hard to not contrast them. Even just the steadiness that it feels like when you see Joseph Wall in the net, it feels a little bit opposite when you watch Samsonov. And I know he's been struggling. Uh, he's mentioned it mentally even and, and emotionally with this kind of rut that he's in. I wonder if it's just needing a couple good chances, but how do they also, I guess, balance, okay, let's give Samsonov some goes, but we also need to win games, right? Like how do you start to to give one guy a bone, but at the same time want to win games and put your best goaltender in, which I think we can agree right now is Joseph Wall. Like they're kind of in an interesting dance, right? You don't want to to step down and push Samson off lower mentally and emotionally, but at the same time, you know, games are, you got to win games. Like the Atlantic is, you got the Boston Bruins who are just like a juggernaut. So the Maple Leafs kind of need to balance that. Yeah, no, I, listen, you be doing this two things. This team is trying to build towards uh, results at the hardest time of year. We get that. We also know that they've had results a regular season. But part of the process has got to be setting the bar and setting the expectation. Enough of this um, or, or gone are the years where it's, you know, we're going to give you seven or eight or nine days to work your way through this or that, you know, 
that's that can't be our expectation as an organization anymore. So the net is there to be competed for. It's been one by wall in short order. He's going to have some stumbles through the course of the year as well. And that's where Samsonov, who's a little bit more of a veteran, you know, at this level anyways, um, he's got to be able to put his pro boots on and, you know, step up and get the job done. But right now, it's walls to lose, in my estimation. And let's get him ready and push him along and, you know, get him ready for, for the back half of the season if he earns it. And right now he is. So I'm, I'm like, all this, uh, you know, kid glove stuff is flown. Like, I'm done with that. Like, uh, let's, mm-hmm. let's, have, let's have structure. Let's have process. Let's have expectation. Here's our bar. Meet the bar. And then, you know, you get the net. It'll be wall dealing with King shooters tonight, uh, of which include Quentin Byfield, who was the second overall. Another pick. York Simcoe Express. There you go. Is that was uh, maybe on Those purpose? Are boys. <laughs> so she could get excited uh, once again. But Quentin Byfield, you know, second overall. It's been a couple of years. Where's he at in his development? Is he is he uh, you know come back with purpose uh, this year? How important he is to what the LA Kings are doing. Uh, it is a crowded center ice uh, 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 situation there uh, with the Pierre-Luc Dubois acquisition. Where does Quinton Byfield uh, rank in terms of the importance out there in L.A. and how's his development coming along? Uh, similar story, I would say, to, I mean, different different type of delivery in terms of being in the league. But, you know, Slavkovsky is going to take some time in Montreal. Um, I think Byfield's just kind of, Let's go back to the slow burn thing because that's all that comes to my mind right now, like comparing it to Logan. Um, it's kind of similar, right? There's a big body, skates really well. He doesn't kill penalties. Um, he is on, at worst, their second power play unit usually. And he's got that, uh, that, that board presence. He can absorb contact, extend plays. What, what I need to see a little bit more of him, though, is off the rush drive and um, really be like that imposing figure. Like when he was playing for the Sudbury Wolves, and he picked up a puck, called it on the power play breakout or whatever. He had space in the neutral zone. This guy was a horse through the neutral zone. Like, nobody could contain him. You know what I mean? Like, he got ahead of steam, and boom, he was going. It's been a little bit slower to arrive at the NHL level consistently, but uh, power forwards, in my estimation, um, although he's kind of a tweener, big body, let's just say, they take a little bit longer to, to maximize their potential. I'm not worried about it. He's on the plus side of it uh, defensively, and I know that their organization values that. So um, better than average, but still another level to go. Well, big game for the Maple Leafs and for some uh, of the local kids coming back to town. Uh, Jason, appreciate you coming on tonight. Happy Halloween, and enjoy the hockey tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks so much. It's Jason Boo Kala, sports analyst. <laughs> And he had a great article up on sportsnet.ca analyzing the Leafs' blue line and where they have to upgrade. And upgrading would be nice to start with some health, getting some healthy bodies back, having them, uh, you know, feel a little bit of consistency on the back end. Uh, It looks like Lilgren will be good. But McCabe isn't, you know, too far away. Yeah, I mean, we got a good prognosis, right? Uh, uh, It's still, like, it, it it is a group that is ripe for being affected by the attritive aspect of a season. Like if they just have one injury or one uh, absence, it just puts a lot of pressure on everyone. And we've already seen that pressure applied on guys like Mark Shirodano playing a little bit more than you'd think at this point and are blocking a little bit more in terms of uh, shots on a penalty kill than you maybe expected at this point 
in the season. A lot of wear and tear already. I wouldn't say tear wear on a guy like Morgan Riley, who's had to step up and play a lot when guys uh, were unable to finish games. It just seems like there's a lot of stress on that unit right now. And it does, as Jason points out in his article, uh, like it's kind of an incomplete puzzle right now where there are some valuable pieces, but how you mix and match them, maybe it all works out, but definitely feels like they're going to have to make an addition at some point. And I will say, if Calgary's misery can be anyone's uh, gain, it could be the Maple Leafs. That does make a lot of sense. Clearly, the true living link is an important one. And a guy like Chris Tanev, who may be able to give you far more than a four-point-whatever-million-dollar salary would um, necessitate, uh, that could be someone we're talking about throughout the balance of the year. If Calgary can't sign their guys, can't win games, and are forced to look to the future a little bit more aggressively. You know, I do my weekly Calgary 960 radio hit tomorrow night, or I guess afternoon. I might have to put some feelers out. Yeah. How happy is he there? Tanev, you know. A little pulse check on Tanev. What are you guys thinking? You can do a little swaparoo, a little switcheroo, see what they say tomorrow. Yeah, and, you know, the guy can be cut in half in terms of salary. We're talking $2 million. You can make I mean, it happen on the radio tomorrow. You can carve tomorrow. out $2 million even if you're a cap-strap team. Uh, you can find a way to get that. So that that's an interesting name, someone to track, and someone who, if added to this depth chart for the Maple Leafs, would be able to knock guys into their rightful places and make things look a lot more appetizing. So we'll see what happens here. Okay, we've got a little bit of breaking news in terms of World Series Game 4 before we send it off to our 30-minute Leafs pregame show. We send it to our, ourselves. Yes, we'll send it to Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert after the break. But uh, Adelise Garcia and Max Scherzer have been removed from the Rangers rosters for the rest of the World Series as they are injured and unable to play, and they've got some replacements in there, but that is a tough blow. Yeah, Scherzer sounds like a blow, but again, I don't know if you were going to rely on him uh, at all uh, again in the series uh, after he pitched in Game 3 and has been a bit mm-hmm. spotty, but Adelise Garcia, as we've cool. as we've mentioned, eight home runs entering the World Series or entering uh, uh, this his last outing uh, has been a massive force for them offensively, has been a guy who's been protected and helped protect the likes of Corey Seager in the middle of that lineup. Like it is a major deal losing a guy who is that important to your offense. But as we discussed, Jesse Rogers and amongst ourselves, they just, they have bats, they have depth, they have versatility. They still have power without Garcia in the lineup, but maybe if it gives any disadvantage or it gives any advantage to the Arizona diamondbacks, well, maybe they can pitch around Corey Seager a little bit more now. And if you can do that, maybe you can diminish the the results from Texas, make other guys like Carter and Garver beat you uh, when, in reality, you had to pitch to one of Garcia or Seager in order to get through that lineup. All right, game four, Texas and Arizona. Texas undefeated on the road. Challenge that tonight against Arizona. 8 p.m., that's on Sportsnet. Um, after we take a break, we'll be back on Sportsnet 590 The Fan to do a little pregame Leafs action as LA Kings are in town for an 8 p.m. puck drop against the Toronto Maple Leafs, a little Halloween spooky season. We have some things to go through in terms of the scariest storylines that we might have already be seeing mm. at the start of the Maple Leafs. They just came back from a five-game road trip, though, and things are in an okay spot. So I'm going to go scour the office for candy before we start. I need a little sugar bit kick hungry. to get through the next half hour. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll be back on Sportsnet 590, the fan, the fan pregame with Ailish and Justin.